Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's another beautiful day here in California. Uh, as usual, motoring in my motor car. Uh, it's early morning time. Another hour plus commute to another glass shop. Here for it. I swear. I swear I'm here for it. In it to win it. Uh, I think the sun is coming up here. Uh, the the sunrise is getting a little earlier every day now that we creep into springtime. But it's still cold out there, 47 degrees. It's warm for some places, but I feel like here in California, where nothing in the Bay Area, where nothing is insulated, and no one's actually ready for it to be cold. It's really cold. It's really cold. A lot of the glass shops are not used to glass shops being this cold. Um, it's certainly a thing that happens woods in the northwest where shops would get cold or frozen block water but then as soon as you get the equipment fired up everything kind of warms up but um, there's a couple shops here that just are not insulated at all and so there's that kind of month or so period where things can actually just if you're not right next to the equipment it's actually just always really cold uh, so all of this cold and loneliness. Uh, you know what it makes me think of? Concrete. You know, cement and concrete. It's just such a, a good quality, solid feeling of sadness, loneliness, cold, just cold, cold fingers. It's fucking concrete, you know what I mean? Uh, isn't that what you think of when you're alone and sad and cold, sitting on concrete, and then you're thinking about concrete and wondering, how is concrete? Where did it come from, and how did they make this stuff so nice? Well, let's talk about it, okay? Um... First, there's the there's cement and there's concrete, cement and concrete. Now, cement, Portland cement, um, is the pier. That's the pier stuff. That's the reactive stuff. The um, is it the limestone? I believe that you can cook limestone. And then that's where you're going to get, I think it's like the limestone cooked with the wood ash um, is what's going to give you the cement, um, the reactive component that will, um, that will turn hard when, when mixed with water. The components have, there's a chemical reaction. And it hardens up. There's old limestone kilns in uh, on, in the San Juan Islands, and I would go visit those as a youngster in my twenties, um, and go see these crazy old kilns. They used to, you know, get the limestone and then I guess cook it. And I kind of, I think I've. Did some, did some serious thinking then about how the what the heck they were doing and I, and I think that's where I came, came up with that thought about the wood I may be off about the wood ash because if you take wood ash it contains a lot like if you want to make soap you can take wood ash and run water through it and you'll get lye water water with lye in it it's no fib it's got a lion. Uh, and 
so that is also a component, if I remember right, in cement. And so I supposed that if you were to cook the heck out of a rock, um, you would both get that rock available at a base level, but also that wood ash would have the lye in it that would help that reaction. So, so, as usual, I'm just remembering what I remember, and you're here for that. You're here for my confusion as well as my knowledge, which is about all I've got, mostly confusion. So, um, you know, honestly, I was having a hard time, like, getting around to this. I was like, I'm not really sure if I want to record about cement. Ugh. I'm so tired, I'm so exhausted, I'm so sad and lonely. But I thought, you know, there are all 12 of you who want to take a nap. And it's important, it's important that we give you your nap time. So, um, we're going to talk about cement, different aggregates. We're going to talk about form boards ways that we can form concrete tools that we might use, techniques to get that concrete looking good, um, structural integrity and strength and mixes in the way that the different mixes of waters and aggregates can influence the structural integrity and clean up we had to clean it up so we'll have to talk about clean up a little bit um, you know there's some history of concrete that I don't know anything about I can tell you about uh, lots of issues out there environmentally with concrete that I can pretend to know about. There's a lot of things I can pretend to know about. So cement, Portland cement and concrete. Concrete is a mix of cement and aggregates and usually in a like six to one ratio of aggregate compound like you know rocks and sand or whatever in um or one of portland cement so um cement itself just plain Portland cement is going to be um, it, the shrink rate is just too high um, to just use it plain. It will um, it'll shrink and crack. So um, that's why you're mixing it in to aggregate and um, other components so that you can um, so that it doesn't shrink and crack. If you're doing things like mortaring um, you're going to use a higher ratio of Portland cement because a mortar is thinner and so you're less concerned with, well, because there's less mass, there is going to be less shrinkage. You're still concerned about it. You're concerned about a lot of things and shrinkage of mortar is one of them. Uh, but in a small area, it's going to be less shrinking. 
happening. And um, it's got some great, it's got some great grip strength to it. Um, that Portland cement. You're still going to want a little aggregate in there for your mortars. So, like, there's a popular brand of concrete. I believe it's like three, two, one, and that's the three rock, two sand, one Portland cement. Really, like a four two one is a pretty good ratio, but it doesn't sound as cool as three two one. So, um, you want some rocks in there to take up the bigger space. You want some sand in there to like get into the smaller spaces uh, and mix in with the Portland cement. It has a little grip to it, and then enough cement to grab all that stuff and hold on to it um, but not too much it's going to shrink because the rocks and the sand they're not going to shrink you know it gets a little warm but you're not there's not like a big heat set um, there's not a big shrinking expansion except from the chemical reaction that shrinks the cement so um You can also mix in different aggregates. Uh, you can you could use glass, like broken glass. That's been at times been a popular idea uh, for recycling glass. That um, you could get a glass powder in there instead of sand and little glass chunks in there and make it look beautiful uh, and create uh, the aggregate that way um, you can you know, harvest your own stones and then you can also um, you could use organic materials yeah the organic materials, um, you know, dirt and sticks, also work great, but they don't—they don't have the longevity that concrete does. So they actually don't work great. Um, but they can—they'll essentially act in the same way and have—they can have an interesting effect. Uh, old-timey concrete it's not a not uncommon to find sticks and organic material I know in New York in a lot of the buildings I've like you know kind of in art spaces that I've <clears throat> been in having to like deal with walls concrete walls looking at walls mounted onto walls not uncommon to find wood both wood from the form boards um, that is now it would be not allowed to have wood like inside the concrete like building a form that part of the wood gets left inside the concrete um, I don't know if it was legal or if there was regulation around it but there certainly is wood in um, a lot of that concrete and another really awesome one is coal chunks of coal just fucking coal in there which I assume is also not uh, maybe it's not that fireproof probably having coal in your um, concrete and it, was it something that was mixed into the aggregate or is it just that like it was trash getting chucked into the concrete because that's also kind of a thing that will happen is you know, mix it up and you're just like well here's some trash we can put that in the concrete um, larger rocks, weird inclusions, which can be beautiful if you're going to cut and polish the concrete later. Uh, another another way that you could treat the concrete um, 
is to cut and polish it through the aggregate. And so how that aggregate lies in there uh, is also determined by the mix, the amount of mix, the way you mix it, uh, and then the amount of water. And the water is really kind of a key component because it can make the slurry wetter and flow more but it can make the aggregate sift out more and the cement will then be kind of pushed to the top and the sand will push to the top and the aggregate will end up at the bottom which can be a structural integrity issue and um, too much water for the cement makes the cement less strong I'm not sure, I w I, it may be that it's just the amount of space that the water creates um, that doesn't quite let it set right. Because cement gets stronger over time. Properly cured cement, you need to, it, you know, it kicks within 24 hours, but then you need to let it sit for a month to let it properly cure. Like for load bearing work, you can't put a load on it for at least a month and sometimes longer depending on the size of the load and like what exactly you're doing. And also you're really supposed to keep it wet during that time. During that month of extra cure, you want to keep the whole thing wet. You don't want to let it dry out because there's still curing that will happen. And then over the years, it continues to cure. Like, good concrete will be way harder a hundred years later. Um, but the concrete is starting to age and get flaky and not work. It's, uh, it's not a function of the water, it's a function of the original mix of the concrete. Blame that. Look for somebody to blame, which we all are. Aren't we? Um, so, now let's say we want to pour a wall. And in a house, before um, we're going to use concrete to make the foundation of a house. We're going to want to, we're gonna have the exterior walls, we're gonna have the kind of outside shape of the house built with concrete. There's going to be, because the foundation won't actually be one solid block of concrete unless we are building solid block of concrete, but we can build it with um, little walls, little stem walls, little pony walls um, that would be, you know, two to three feet in height to create kind of a crawl space underneath the house because we're going to want some airflow underneath our nice little house. And if we're going to then lay out, we're going to lay out the exterior walls, because those are all load bearing. But then also on the interior, we're going to have walls also inside the house. And so we're going to have to map that out with the concrete underneath so there'll be little little short walls made of concrete underneath all our walls that are inside the house that are full size inside the house and this will ensure that our walls inside the house are uh, supported by way underneath so they're not just sitting on the floor but there's actual structural components underneath. So those walls are going to be, say, about eight inches wide. 
and say 24 inches tall and at the base of them will be another wider base of concrete and that is also part of the foundation and that will be say 24 inches wide 24 30 48 inches wide and we'll have the wall going down the center so it's kind of an upside down t shape and there will be a wide part into the dirt and so the first thing you want to do is you're clearing the dirt and laying out where these walls go and building the outsides of those forms with two by sixes two by eights staked into the ground you're kind of starting a basic getting kind of close to where you're going uh, with those walls and then you could pour those and and you'd have rebar inside of them and rebar that goes up into the wall and the rebar is metal is a mild steel that's used as a structural component inside of the concrete and the rebar itself has to be floating inside that concrete so that it can't be has to be at least an inch and a half or two inches or so from the surface of the concrete you can't have it actually close to the surface uh, and you can't have it sticking out uh, and if you're going to tie it in you have to do it in certain ways so that um, if you're pouring a successive pour, you're going to have rebar sticking out and you're going to have to pour up against it in a certain way so that rebar gets covered. And I believe within a certain amount of time um, that you can't have rebar sticking out for too long. Because also, if it gets exposed, if it rusts, the rebar rusting um, can break the concrete. So you have to get it you have to get it sealed and tied there and then get that concrete sealed um, so that the, the rebar isn't being exposed to water and rusty and then that compromise the integrity of your concrete as well. So the rebar will generally be laid out and kind of grids um, and you know a four inch square grid or a six inch square grid and this would be determined on the, the load that you need the the wall to be able to take um, you know, more more load means thicker concrete means more rebar thicker rebar and more closer together rebar the closer together your rebar is, the harder it is to get it to Also, that means you know. Then you have to really be aware of the aggregate in your concrete. Um, if your aggregate is too large and you got tiny little holes in your rebar, and it's a drier mix, um, you can have some issues with getting your concrete to flow in there. Which you're also going to need to vibrate the concrete. Um, generally a vibration tool you use is like a, it's like a backpack vibrator long vibrating wand that you can insert into the concrete and it will vibrate the concrete you can also put it on the form and vibrate the form and also put it against the rebar to vibrate the rebar and shake all that and make the concrete flow, which I believe that's where you're kind of getting into that like Newtonian liquid stuff. It's like a cornstarch kind of thing, non-Newtonian liquid stuff. Um, 
and you have to be careful because if there's too much vibrating then you're going to shake all the aggregate to the bottom and squeeze all the cement up to the top and all the water out and it won't it also won't your cement won't set so there's like a real fine art there that's difficult because you can't see you just you you can't see inside of your form boards to tell like how much has flowed down there like have you filled up all your air gaps or is your aggregate starting to um, fill in the bottom these are things to be aware of pouring pouring concrete so um, you're going to want to keep your mix drier in a thick uh, it bunches together in your hand but it isn't a wet soupy mix if you're getting it from the truck you could dictate how wet it is and or they'll have an idea of how wet it should be and how it should flow um, and then you're going to want to also take a sample from your truck when the truck delivers this concrete uh, in a kind of soup can size and then that little soup can unit then can be tested um, by crushing it and under hydraulic pressure you can get a test of how strong your cement mix is and know that the structural integrity of it is strong enough to do exactly what you need to do. Um, so you're going to have all these little stem walls that are going to be built. You're going to lay out all of your walls, exterior walls. They're going to be thicker because they're usually going to have more load. And then the interior walls usually get a little thinner uh, to kind of have this maze-looking setup that looks like the layout of your walls, but it's a little bit... Um, but it's just short walls. Right, so that you're gonna start by laying those pads that are eight inches, ten inches deep, twenty-four inches wide, and then you'll pour your stem walls on top of that. And the the, the rebar then needs to be passing through from the stem wall into that footing. And um, being sealed inside that and then sticking out of the top of the stem wall is going to be a, as a bolt looking. It's, it's a bolt. It doesn't just look like a bolt. It's actually a bolt. Uh, and so that bolt is going to be used as a J-bolt that's going to be tied into your rebar and held in. It's part of the concrete. It's part of the rebar structure. That is what is going to hold your house down if there's ever an earthquake and it shakes. Um, then your house can't jump up off the foundation. But in fact, your house is actually bolted down onto the foundation. So that's important to keep your house bolted down. So you got your J-bolts in there. You got your rebar. And then you're also trying to get it to a certain height because um, you're building a house and it's got a, you know, got to be a certain height. You can't just, you can't just pretend. It's got to be for real. So then you're going to use a trowel on top of, um, that little wall to make sure your concrete 
is flat on top. And then here's one of the exciting parts of concrete is as it is setting, you can work the top of that concrete in such a way as to it's almost as if you're pulling the slurry of the concrete of the cement into that surface where if you were to trowel evenly trowel the top of concrete as it sets that it's probably the vibration there is kind of pulling the water and the Portland cement right to the surface and so the the last thing that is happening on that surface is just the cement setting and if you kind of evenly and carefully your trowel is smooth and clean and you're evenly and carefully troweling the surface of your concrete as it sets you'll be able to essentially polish it with the cement that's in there as the cement sets and uh, rises to the top creating almost kind of a um, an even stronger grain on the top. I believe that you're even kind of like you could be packing that cement in on that last bit and it's like polishing it and tightening the surface. Um, and I, I would assume laying kind of a grain into there into that uh, surface. And so that that move is something I mean it's very exciting it's really wonderful to kind of be at the top of the wall and be working the concrete in such a way you can just watch it like harden and you can tell like you can't really push it first it's like it's a big wet soup and you can kind of push into it and you're just trying to get the level right and then as you're kind of working it it um starts to harden and then you're really just you can feel that you're really just working the surface and you can see the cement kind of pull into the surface and the polish happening and this will be you know when you're making this little walls you have boards on either side so the form boards uh, are generally basic form boards are plywood 24 inch by 96 inch uh, pieces of plywood and sometimes smaller or bigger but those forms um, then are what you could lay out all of those short walls with and then you have a certain height maybe you have a chalk line or a pencil line inside that you're trying to get the concrete to to get it kind of to a basic height then you're going to also once you got that done then you're going to start getting the wood on there and actually finessing that actual height and getting it precise but the closer you can get it with the concrete the better um, so the form boards are going to be held on there's a couple different ways that you can hold those form boards together. There's metal clips that can go over the top and hold the form on the top that you can brace the bottom against um, the concrete, the existing. You could you pour your um, your base, the foundation wall. And so that part, you could first build the forms in the dirt and have your, your two by eights in the dirt with stakes against the dirt. And now you've got this um, flat base that then you're going to build the stem wall on. And so, so 
so that's you're kind of making the vertical part of the T and you put the form boards on it and you can brace those with the two by against the concrete you can even drill into the concrete uh, be careful not to hit your rebar uh, or you could brace against uh, more dirt ground and then that so you brace it on the bottom of your vertical form board with a two by on the concrete and then on the top you could have a clip that goes over the top of a metal clip that's kind of a C almost shape that would grab either side of the form board and so that would hold that together because the, the hydraulic pressure of concrete can be pretty powerful and so you really have to be aware of that and, and what uh, the hydraulic pressure can do and how much that can um, squeeze your wood and potentially blow things out from the side of your forms uh, because once that happens and you are pouring concrete inside your forms and uh, the walls break that concrete's going everywhere and you really can't do much about it there's, there's definitely moments where you might be able to patch a foreboard, and there's definitely moments where you can't patch shit, and there's just concrete everywhere, and what you're trying to do is just shuffle it out of the way so that it, it doesn't set up and make a mess that's harder to deal with. So, another way that the form boards will be held together is um, because those what I described was the kind of holding it from the outside and holding it from the top but sometimes you need to hold it inside if you're going to stack those form boards if your wall is taller than 24 inches and you need to stack two form boards um, then you might need to actually have something that goes inside the concrete to hold it. And so you'll have a, it's a long metal rod with a little plastic cone on either side with the wide end out, kind of cone pointing into the center of the rod. And those cone is what's going to go against the conch, against the form board, and then pointing inside, and then the metal rod will go through. And I believe, I'm not sure why that cone is there. Maybe it's to so that you could break the break the metal rod away and not compromise the integrity of the concrete and then leave a even hole and a, a patchable hole in the concrete. Uh, because if you have metal exposed right on the surface of the concrete, that's where you can get the rust and the oxidization. But if, it, if the cone shape that goes inside, so um, that metal rod will be spanning across inside the concrete and it will hold catch, it, the rod will go all the way through the form board and the cone will be on the inside of the concrete side and that metal rod will then catch the outside of the um, 
of the form board. And it's sticking out. It's got a little, uh, an upset end. So it's got a little ball end on it. It kind of looks like a head of a nail. And then there's a special kind of shim of metal, a flat plate of metal with a hole in it and a keyway. You can slide over that little nail head and then that can shim that and essentially create exterior pressure on the form board pushing it into the middle and the cones will push in now cone also has a stop that it kind of pushes up against on that rod and so you're creating this uh, exterior pressure pushing into the cones and creating a certain dimension of that interior space by pushing on this metal rod onto the cones inside. This is really confusing, isn't it? Uh, if you're not following all this, okay, because I've, I've totally lost you. So, um, just kidding. I'm right there. I'm like super visually into this, so sorry if this is more confusing and I'm disturbing your sleep here. Um, so, once you pour the concrete and then you're removing the form boards, um, you're going to have flush against the concrete will be the wide side of the cone. And then the cone will be going into the concrete. And so then you can, once you've got the form board removed, you take that little shim keyway metal jammer off and then you've got the cone inside and there's a metal rod sticking out of the center of the cone and then you can tap that metal rod side to side and it kind of breaks that shim, that, or sorry, it breaks that cone loose and the cone then can slide out and then that metal rod can break away and the cone is, is maybe one inch on the wide end and an inch and a half long and then you remove the cone and that metal rod can then snap off inside way at the inside of that cone so you have this little cone funnel shape going into the wall um, a one inch hole that tapers down over an inch and a half into the wall and So that you have that metal way inside there. Um, this is something you, you maybe have seen on a concrete wall, you know, in a parking garage or something. These little divots. Uh, and that's what those are that used to hold the form boards. Now there's other ways to do form board technology. What I've described is like a basic plywood construction style. There are other more complex ways of doing this where you could have smaller boards. You could build your walls with uh, if you wanted the, the look of wood texture on your wall, you could build it with you know rough cut um, planks and then that would show the wood texture. There are also plastic forms that have different kinds of texture on them that you could um, use on your on your walls um, if you're going to use wood uh, you'll need to coat it with some sort of release and generally um, diesel is a great release which is really nasty to work with and a real pain in the ass. And you have to be careful to not get diesel on your rebar because you don't want any release on your rebar. You want your rebar to stick to the concrete. So you have to spray the form boards first before you put them into place. Um, you might use some sort of like pump kind of pesticide sprayer full of diesel. So spray your form boards, which is about as fun as it sounds. Um, so, 
another way, now this is one of my favorite things ever in the world, is say you want to build a wall that is eight feet tall, but it's just you, and you don't want to build forms all the way up, um, you can build you can build the two foot wall with the found with the forms and then pour in the concrete up to two feet and then you can slide the form board up while the concrete is still wet now you have the rebar tied inside there and you're gonna slide the form board up exposing the wet concrete um, and I believe you're going to want to do that maybe with a jack but you might be able to do it with a hammer by tapping it up because you know it's wet and it's going to release and it's going to slide up and there will be some slump that happens because essentially you're exposing wet concrete but if you're not if your mix is right and you're not having to vibrate, if you vibrate, it's going to flow and it's going to go everywhere. But if you have your mix right, um, now I don't think, I'm pretty sure this is not legal to do in a building situation, but it used to be more common and still you'll encounter it, old timers that know this technique um, and will we'll bring this out of the woodwork. That you're essentially like using one set of form boards to pour two feet at a time, stacking on top of itself. Like this is if you're in a basement and it's just you and your form boards and you're mixing the concrete by hand or you have a small mixer. So you're doing small batch mixes and you're mixing it and pouring it and building up as you go. And the concrete is kind of setting, but it's not actually setting. Um, it's still kind of wet and it's starting to kick a little bit as you go um, and if you do it correctly you can you can batch your concrete like if you're getting it wet enough on top of something that's still just got enough wet you will get a bond in between it if your concrete actually kicks and you pour more concrete on top of it it's not going to bond and you're going to have a weak point there and you need to have um it's not, you can't just pour a wall like part way, let it set, and then pour on top of that because you have a joint that will um, be a weak point for water. Like if you've ever seen in a building like what looks to be kind of a weird kind of scraggly like mountainscape line in the concrete, it's where the concrete dried and then they poured more concrete and it's not a tight bond. That can be a place where water can get it. Um, so, if you really, if you really know your concrete and you're really, really knowledgeable about it and you're quick and steady, you can pour two feet of concrete and then lift the form board, slide the form board up and you've exposed wet concrete at the bottom that could just slip out and fall and all flow out and you're going to pour more concrete on top of that and then slide the form board up again and expose more wet concrete to the point where you have four or six feet of wet-ish concrete just freestanding and you're pouring on top of that just using the form board on top of that. Um, it's a really, really tricky technique. Um, and I've seen it used successfully um, in basements in really uh, harebrained sort of ways. Uh, but it is possible. It is possible. And the, I mean, I think the reason I love it is just a, it's one of those um, old timer techniques. that takes that special finesse and the knowledge of the material in a way and is a very high risk sort of technique that um, could have a massive failure 
but if it doesn't, could make for a pretty good success and um, save a lot of work in building forms and getting the concrete. Because the, the, what, it, what it makes is that you're able to pour the concrete in. I believe it's that you can pour the concrete right into the form and you're not dropping it from way at the top of the form where you you know may be able to if you were pumping it in with the pump truck but if you're just mixing wheelbarrows full in the basement um, then you're able to pour in a little bit at a time and pour it in and get it to go into the bottom and get a visual on to make sure that it's all going in there and because you're pouring a little bit at a time you're not as worried about the aggregate mix um, that all of your aggregate will sift out to the bottom because you're going layer by layer, so, um, and I'm sure that there's, there probably there was a time when this is, this is a more common technique to use before you were, um, had the ability to really mix up massive amounts in a huge truck, send the huge truck barreling across town. Uh, so many great techniques. So many great high-risk techniques, but we just don't we just don't risk it all for it. Um, okay, so there's some foreign board technology, um, different aggregate mixes, different ways to finish that. I suppose maybe getting back to that that finish, we kind of talked about finishing top of the stem wall, but then if you're actually going to be doing this in, um, if you're pouring a floor and you want this floor to be really smooth and nice, uh, it's the same technique I was talking about before of like kind of scraping the top is where you'll get this, um, you're essentially pulling that cement up to the top through that, the vibration across the top and then packing that grain in of the cement to create a very nice polish to the surface. Um, that you can do that across a whole floor, and that's also a technique in itself, is to um, you know, level the floor as you go, and, or potentially level with some sort of slope for a drain or for water flow, and then from there, once you kind of have established that equal level and where you want the water to flow, then you are slowly working that concrete as it tears to take it to a polish, which is going to be easier than cutting and grinding and polishing it if it's... Um, actually cared, because then you're going to have to do it with diamond polishing pads and you know, grinding the polishing, much like cold working with glass. Uh, you use the same kind of masonry bits for concrete. Um, but if you do it as it cures, and again, this is the skill and the knowledge of that material, is slowly working that surface so that your um, polishing that cement as it cures right on the surface with the water and that cement and you'll find that the water essentially you're squeezing the water out of that surface and it will be wetter on the surface as you push and buff your trowel back and forth you'll find the water is almost like squeezing out of it as you perfectly polish surface. Very tricky stuff. Um, definitely worth investigating if you like investigating materials. Um, polishing concrete as it kicks. Uh, and then taking it to a tile saw to um, cut out
cut through the egg to get to see the egg to get inside to polish it using polishing techniques. Same polishing grinding techniques and tools you use on glass, masonry bits, um, diamond pads. If you have a cold working setup, you can cold you can cold work concrete. In the same way as you cold work glass. Um, and then you can see the aggregate and you can see the way that um, those mixes kind of will create a um, denser aggregate at the bottom and just the cement at the top which I'm sure that's what you've always wanted to do is pour it out of concrete polish the top of it and then cut it with a tile saw and look at those slices Maybe you could even use some fancy rocks in it, like some agates or something, and then cut it, take a look, and see those fancy rocks. Oh, that sounds so fun. Wouldn't that be exciting? Um, alright, well, there's mortar, there's cement, there's concrete, we've talked about the aggregate, the different mixes, form boards, um, Oh, but wait, now we need to clean up because we have made a terrible mess. Um, and we need to get all this stuff clean because we don't want it to dry on our tools. So before everything sets, before it all gets really hard, we want to rinse this off well. And now supposedly this is all just rock and it is there is the lye there is the cement the limestone is kicking in there but supposedly now this is just supposedly that that stuff is uh, you don't want to get the sand and the aggregate necessarily right in your drain but you do want to contain that stuff in a safe place I mean most concrete job sites that we're trying to just you're definitely spraying off in the dirt and there's like an area where you can do it but all of that material is then collected and as it kicks it's not super toxic. I think the toxic part of concrete comes in its in the production of it and the the byproducts of that production and the massive scale of concrete and that has actually created some super duper gnarly um, environmental issues is massive concrete production, um, which maybe have to do with the lye, but maybe this has to do with like all the industrial materials um, that are used to create that concrete. But as usual, humans and their aggressive abundance of doing things. Um, has created environmental, enormous environmental impacts. Um, so you can think about that while you're cleaning up. Um, and you want to get all of your stuff really clean now. That's really important, is to get all of those little concrete bits off of your bucket and off of your trowel and out of your plastic bin rinsed off well and also off of your skin and off your clothes because it's the lie in there that will you can really hurt yourself if you spend too much time with concrete on your skin so you want to get that off your skin and maybe even not get it on your skin um, wear boots and um, gloves and such it really would just dry you out. Uh, the lye in there would just remove all of the oils in your skin. It would really dry you out. Um, and so, you want to get all that stuff rinsed off. And generally, the water, at that point, what you're doing is like the water will act on that concrete still that hasn't set. And then the water will make it essentially become way less strong by breaking it all down. And so um, a good cleanup is really just lots of water. And then maybe you want some lotion for your hands when you're done. Just your hands are all dry. 
slow motion. Slow motion hands. Um, gotta clean up. Historical concrete. I mean, I can't speak too much on that. Um, what I do know is that a certain moment in history people have figured out some concrete and it's had enormous impacts on the construction and the things they were able to do in Roman times. Old-timey concrete. Uh, and some of that concrete is really, really hard and really impressive. Uh, but I don't really know much about that, so I'm not going to lie about that. Historical concrete episode. Um, what I do know is that all this rain and sadness really reminds me of concrete. So, if you're doing concrete projects in the rain and you're sad, you can know that I'm thinking about you and I'm there with you. Um, nothing quite like being in rain gear and trying to set concrete and knowing that it's a bit futile but it's the job you've got in front of you putting up tarps and trying to protect the concrete it really doesn't it's fine to do concrete in the rain if freezing it's like you kind of hope for freezing if you're working concrete you kind of hope for freezing so that you don't have to work for the concrete that day because if it freezes while the concrete is setting spoiler but if it's just raining on it um, you still get to do concrete that's what you get to do uh, so if you're sad and lonely you can know that I'm thinking about you every concrete all the concrete you have alright well this send a message Bye for now.